0: Welcome back, Heming Brains, to so the Heming Brains list. Book 6, Chapter 3. The old oak tree provides the final impetus behind Andre's throwing off the shackles of his depression. Do you think he would have eventually done so without the symbolism of life both Natasha and the oak tree provided? Good question. Andre is now free to idolise his wife, as the memories of his reservations about her fade? Will he eventually place her on a pedestal, remembering only the good things? Will he minimise the issues he experienced in his previous marriage? Finally, at the end of the chapter, the prince even begins to show interest in his son again. Will he take a more active role as a father from now on? Good questions. Good discussion prompts, as always. Courtesy of of user7of9. Rips to 66 says, I loved that the old oak tree had come to life again in step with Andre's reawakening. It's a beautiful metaphor for renewal. I don't think Natasha and the old oak were necessary for Andre's reawaken- reawakening, but the timing worked out such that his thoughts were primed by the old oak, and then Natasha's youthful vigor and his thoughts turned toward love and light. With time... The sharp edges of regret. This is another. Sorry, this is in response to uh, the second discussion prompt about Andre's kind of his memories of his wife becoming more idolized. With time, the sharp edges of regret are worn down, and Andre can look at his wife's portrait without recrimination for how he treated her. I hope he will carry forth the lessons he should have learned about what's important in a marriage, but that is yet to be seen. You would hope that he does um, grow from one marriage to the next. Brian E. Denton, War and Peace OG. Uh, this year, for whatever reason, I'm reading The Oak Tree different from how I have previously. Interesting. Interesting, especially because Brian has read the book, I think, uh, looks... Well, this is his 11th year in a row, according to his flair. So, 11 times... He reads it one chapter per day, every day, for 11 years. means there hasn't been a single day in the last 11 years where Brian hasn't been reading War and Peace. That is insane. And so when he says he's starting to see something from a new angle, I find that very interesting. So anyway, Brian says, This year, for whatever reason, I'm reading The Oak Tree differently from how I have previously. I see the springtime bloom of the oak leaves as mere momentary, temporary, and passing cover. For the gnarled old scars of the oak tree. That old oak is still there, it's just covered for now, anyway. There we go, okay, so the sh- more shallow metaphor of, you know, the oak stubbornly refusing to participate in life at the beginning of spring, and Andre seeing and going, Yeah, me too. And then, to his surprise, the oak said, Hang on, no, nope, I'm here, and blossoms again, despite Looking so old and gnarly. Um, but he's, Brian's saying, no, there's an even deeper metaphor of maybe Andre is feeling his life being renewed, but it's just a temporary coating over those old scars that remain. So many layers. Um, so many layers. That's what makes these characters great, I think. Tolstoy's characters do seem to have these pivot, pivots, pivotal moments, you could say. Um, Moments of epiphany, often linked in with nature of some description. Um, And they really do do an about-face and just change on a dime. It's quite, uh, well... It can even be a little jarring, to be honest, and a little bit abrupt... But then I think maybe a book is made up of those key moments, especially a book which is an epic, where we follow Andre through, you know, many years of his life. we are not going to see the day, day to day. you are got to just see the more pivotal moments. Could that be an explanation for why he seems to always be having these epiphanies at this stage of the book? Anyway, let's keep reading. Chapter four goes like this. Prince Andrei arrived in Petersburg in August 1809. Excuse me. <clears throat> it was the time when the youthful Speransky was at the zenith sorry zenith, of his fame, and his reforms were being pushed forward with the greatest energy. That same August, the emperor was thrown from his Kalish, injured his leg and remained three weeks at Peterhof receiving Speransky every day and no one else. At that time, the two famous decrees were being prepared that so agitated society, abolishing court ranks and introducing examinations to qualify for the grades of collegiate assessor and state councillor. And not merely these, but a whole state constitution intended to change the existing order of government in Russia, legal, administrative and financial, from the Council of State, down to the district tribunals. Now, those vague liberal dreams with which the Emperor Alexander had ascended the throne and which he had tried to put into effect with the aid of his associates, Tsarovsky, Novosiltev, Kochubey, and Stroganov, whom he himself in jest had called his Comite de Salut Public, were taking shape and being realised. Now, all these men were replaced by Speransky on the civil side, and Achieve, on the military. Soon after his arrival, Prince André, as a gentleman of the chamber, presented himself at court and at a levy. The Emperor, though he met him twice, did not favour him with a single word. It had always seemed to Prince André. Before that, he was antipathetic to the Emperor, and that the latter disliked his face and personality generally, and in the cold, repellent glance the Emperor gave him, he now found further confirmation of this surmise. The courtiers explained the Emperor's neglect of him by His Majesty's displeasure at Bolkonski's not having served since 1805. I know myself that one cannot help one's sympathies and antipathies, thought Prince Andrei. so it will not do to present my proposal for the reform of the army regulations to the Emperor personally, but the project will speak for itself. He mentioned what he had written, to an old field marshal, a friend of his father's. The field marshal made an appointment to see him, received him graciously, and promised to inform the Emperor. A few days later, Prince Andrei received notice that he was to go to see the Minister of War, Count Arakcheev. On the appointed day, Prince Andrei entered Count Arakcheev's waiting room at nine in the morning. Excuse me while I sip my drink. Water, by the way, if you're curious. Very interesting. <clears throat> uh, he did not know Arakcheev Ar- personally. He never had never seen him, and all he had heard of him inspired him with but little respect for the man. He is Minister of War, a man trusted by the Emperor, and I need not concern myself about his personal qualities. He has been commissioned to consider my project, so he alone can get it adopted thought Prince André, as he waited among a number of important and unimportant people in Count Arakcheev's waiting room. During his service chiefly as an adjutant, Prince André had seen the anterooms of many important men, and the different types of such rooms were well known to him. Count Arakcheev's ante-room had quite a special character. The faces of the unimportant people awaiting their turn for an audience showed embarrassment and servility, The faces of those of higher rank expressed a common feeling of awkwardness, covered by a mask of unconcern and ridicule of themselves, their situation, and the person for whom they were waiting. Some walked thoughtfully up and down, others whispered and laughed. Prince Andre heard the nickname Silla Arakcheev and the words uncle will give it to us hot in reference to Count Arakcheev, one general and important personage. Evidently feeling offended, and having to wait so long, sat, crossing and uncrossing his legs and smiling contemptuously to himself. But the moment the door opened, one feeling alone appeared on all faces, that of fear. Prince André, for the second time, asked the adjutant on duty to take in his name, but received an ironical look and was told that his turn would come in due course, after some others, and had been shown in and out of the minister's room by the adjutant or on duty, An officer who struck Prince Andre by his humiliated and frightened air was admitted at that terrible door. This officer's audience lasted a long time, then suddenly the grating sound of a harsh voice was heard from the other side of the door, and the officer, with pale face and trembling lips, came out and passed through the waiting room, clutching his head. After this, Prince Andre was conducted to the door, and the officer on duty said in a whisper to the right at the window, Prince Andrei entered a plain, tidy room and saw at the table a man of forty with a long waist, a long, closely cropped head, deep wrinkles, scowling brows, above dull greenish hazel eyes, and an overhanging red nose. Arakcheev turned his head toward him without looking at him. What is your petition? asked Arakcheev. I am not petitioning, Your Excellency, returned Prince Andrei quietly. Arakcheev's eyes turned toward him. "'Sit down,' said he. "'Prince Bolkonski? "'I am not petitioning about anything. "'His Majesty, the Emperor, has deigned to send Your Excellency a project submitted by me.' "'You see, my dear sir, I have read your project,' interrupted Arakcheev, "'uttering only the first words amiably, and then, again, without looking at Prince Andrei, "'relapsing gradually into a tone of grumbling contempt,' You are proposing new military laws. There are many laws, but no one to carry out the old ones. Nowadays everybody designs laws. It is easier writing than doing. I came at his majesty, the emperor's wish, to learn from your excellency how you propose to deal with the memorandum I have presented, said Prince Andre politely. I have endorsed a resolution on your memorandum and sent it to the committee. I do not approve of it. Said Arakchiv, rising and taking a paper from his writing table. Here, and he handed it to Prince Andre. Across the table. Sorry, across the paper he scrawled in pencil, without capital letters, misspelled and without punctuation, unsoundly constructed because resembles an imitation of the French military code and from the articles of war needlessly deviating. To what committee has the memorandum been referred? inquired Prince Andre to the Committee on Army Regulations, and I have recommended that your honour should be appointed a member, but without a salary. Prince Andre smiled. I don't want one. A member without salary, repeated Arach Jeev. I have the honour. Yeah, call the next one. Who else is there? He shouted, bowing to Prince Andre. Alright, there we go. A chapter for you. I didn't take much of that in, if I'm honest. Prince Andre has tried to um have a memorandum presented at court and um is disappointed to find that it hasn't really been paid much attention to is that did i gather that right anyway discuss it in the uh the reddit thread and i will see you tomorrow